Hey, this is Trevor Shackles of Cosper Pointcast. This is Kelly from thehockeylast.blogspot.com. Hey, it's Ian Mendes from TSN 1200. Hey, this is Joseph. Hey, guys, Neil here. My name is Dave, and this is Maple Syrup Shots Podcast. Hey, this is Adam from Welland, Ontario, Canada. You're listening to... You're listening to... You're listening to... And you're listening... You are listening to... And you're listening to the Third Line Plug. 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 Sense cast. Sense cast. Sense cast. Sense cast. Sense cast. Sense cast with Taylor and Tim. Hot Sam. Hot Sam. Hot Sam. Bacho. 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 Hot Sam Bacho. Hot Sam Bacho. Alright, good to go. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug SenseCast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensi. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going well, going well. It's been a while. It has been a while, man. It's hard to believe that, God, summer's already over. Our, you know, our off-season episodes are all wrapped up, and now we're only weeks away from the start of Season 3. Yeah, well, we've already got preseason going, so it's going to be fun, dude. Absolutely. About as fun as we can have. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to try. So today's episode, Tim, we're going to be looking at the 2019-2020 Ottawa Senators Storylines episode, which means it's preseason, Tim. It's almost like uh, whose line is it anyway, where the games are made up and the points don't matter. For sure, man, for sure. Now, before we go into the episode, we're just going to run through a few things. First of all, unlike previous Ottawa Center Storylines episodes we've done in the past, where we usually go from the most important stories to the least important stories, we've decided to split it up into categories. Because honestly, there's so much stuff to talk about with this episode, and quite frankly, this is the best way to do it is to split up into categories. Now, we have three categories. We've got returning players, young guns, and Ottawa Maple Leafs, question mark? Not question mark, period. I honestly don't have a response for that, Tim. That's pretty good. (laughs) Okay, so let's get right into the pre-show. And first of all, we're going to thank everybody for listening to our summer episodes. I know you and I had a lot of fun doing those episodes. And... For myself, I think it was really great that we only did an episode every two weeks because I felt that it let the episodes breathe and it let it us it let us really focus on the episodes and honestly, I was really happy how they turned out. Mm-hmm. I only have one reservation about the last draft episode that we did. I forgot something really important. What's that? Hey, do you remember Pepsi Man? I remember that the Angry Video Game Nerd did an episode on it. Yeah, so it turns out that... So remember in Pepsi Man, there was those weird cutaway cutscenes with just some dude on a couch? Yeah. 
that man, his name is Mike Butters, and it turns out that he was draft eligible that year. Really? Yeah. The dude actually ended up playing several seasons in the, the AHL and was eventually, I think, an AGM for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Man, that's insane to think that Pepsi Man was a pro hockey player, Tim. Yeah. He was Pepsi Man also ended up becoming Jigsaw from Saw. How did we not bring this up on that episode? That's what I want to know now. As we were closing the episode, I just thought about it and Googled it. Yeah, so Mike Butters was draft eligible during the Mario Lemieux draft. Is it safe to say that we blew it? Well, to be fair, he went undrafted, so we wouldn't have immediately picked it up. Fair enough, fair enough. But still, I think that's a big flub on our end, the fact that this guy, he was Jigsaw and he was Pepsi Man, and neither of us brought it up. Yeah, that he was, his first year draft eligibility was in the 1984 draft, and I think he was playing for an SJHL team in Esteban at the time, so it's not like he just came out of nowhere. Fair enough, fair enough. Once again, we do thank everybody for listening, and we also thank the National Podcast Network for having us on their network. I'm sure, I'm sure we already talked about that, so we don't really need to go into it. Uh, we do going to talk about, given that we are on the National Podcast Network and we are entering a brand new season, I figured it was time to change it up a bit. And for me, I feel that new year, new theme. As you heard at the beginning of this episode, we have a brand new theme song that we're playing, Tim. Oh, crazy. Yeah, so as over the last couple of seasons, Tim, we've been using Why Are You Not Rocking by the Canadian rock band Monster Truck, and we felt that we should be bringing Monster Truck back for season three with a brand new song called Denim Danger. Ooh. Have to give it a full listen. Absolutely. It's a fantastic jam, and honestly, True Rockers is a really good album. I don't know where I would rank it in far as terms uh, with Monster Trucks, other stuff, but I, I really seem to enjoy it. And also, we just got to point out that we do have a brand new outro song as well. And for one fellow sense podcaster, no, it's not Japan Droids, even though we only used them one time. He'll never let that go. Or is it us who are not letting it go? I get lost on these sorts of things. Uh, honestly, I think it's on our end at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Although he did kind of call us out on one of their episodes, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, The song that we are using for our outro is a song called Amsterdam by the band Nothing But Thieves. Oh. It's a solid jam, dude. I'm not going to lie to you. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to talk about this a little bit, and I know I didn't bring it up in the pre-show because I didn't know whether we should bring it up. You and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. The NHL 20 Ottawa Senators alumni team. Oh, that was some shit. Wow, EA. Uh, Never in my life did I ever think that EA would flub so hard with our alumni team. Well, and the thing is, is I think all of those alumni teams except the Oilers and the Habs are bad, and it's because of a rights issue so the so ea contracts with the nhl and the nhlpa collectively for all the player names and photos however they also contracted for the alumni teams with the 
National Hockey League Players Association alumni group. And that rights bundle is opt-in, not opt-out. Mm-hmm. So they could only use the names of players who had opted in to that rights agreement. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring this up, Tim, is because, and I was looking at it again today, you bringing that up actually makes a lot of sense why our team is so unbelievably terrible. Because I'm looking at it, my first reaction was, okay, uh, who do I not see on this team? Let's see, I don't see Alfredson, I don't see Heatley, I don't see Emery, I don't see Lalim, I don't see Bonk or Havlat or Hosa or any of these big name players that we've ever had. But we still got Mike Condon, still got him. You know what, I, if I'm not mistaken, Marion Hosa is still under contract with, oh, who did Chicago trade him to? I think Arizona. Arizona, so if he's still under contract, then I think, I don't get the Hosa one, because I think he's, his rights are, or did he officially retire? Because if he officially retired, then there is a chance that his rights are out of the collective group, rights that the NHLPA has. Uh, it says right here, Marion Hosa is a Slovak former professional ice hockey right winger under contract for the Arizona Coyotes of the National Hockey League. So it says here that he no longer plays professional hockey in May 2018. He does intend to retire in 2021 when his contract expires. So yes, he is still technically active, even if he's not playing. Yeah. So I guess I'm a little surprised then. On Marion Hosa, at least. I know, but it's funny. You and I were just looking at that going like, wow, they wow, they flubbed it big time. Because, you know, that's their opportunity. They could have had the cash line, Bonk, Hosa, all these big-name players that we've ever had on this team. And even people on Sen's Twitter were just like, what in the hell is this? Like, I understand yeah. with alumni teams, you know, you're going to get some players that you're just like, I don't remember this guy playing. Like, I don't remember Brian Smolenski playing for the Senators, but he was on the team. I hardly remember yes. Sean Van Allen playing for the Sens, but he was on that team. I think I have a Sean Van Allen hockey card. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I, I do remember Sean Van Allen because he scored an OT winner in 03. But still, my, my point stands right I mean you look at that and that could have been that could have been a big opportunity for EA to show that hey even though the Ottawa Senators are complete and hot garbage today at one time we were actually good look at all of these players the thing that I guess really surprises me is uh, for most of the teams it was so bad I don't know why they just went and did it yeah, it's a cool idea, but the thing is, if you don't have the resources behind it to do it properly, then why do it? Yeah. The one I find kind of funny, though, is uh, they have Mike Condon and Darren Madley as the goalies, but no Craig Anderson. Because with bets on the team, it's obvious that uh, they're considering current players as well. True. Uh, I don't. I don't get it, man. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Sticking with the Senators, though, one thing that I was really happy we got the chance to do last last season was that we did a 
we made a donation to the Ottawa Senators Foundation. And how we did it last season was that we would do, we would donate $1 and $1 for every goal and every assist scored by Mark Stone and Thomas Shabbat. And we ended up raising a couple hundred bucks for that. And I was really happy and really proud to do that. And I feel that we should be doing this again with a few changes this year, though. Are we stepping up our game? We are going to be stepping up our game, Tim, because this is something that you and I talked about at the end of last season. And this is something that I know you and I both really wanted to do. And we feel that this is actually a pretty good idea. So the changes that we're going to be doing for this season opposed to last is that last season, as we were talking about, we would donate $1 for every goal and $1 for every assist. That is going to remain. Yep. There's one thing, though. The players have changed. And the players that we have chosen is the man known as Hot Sam Bacho, Thomas Shabbat, and the real American, Brady Tuchuk. Two favorites of the show. Can't go wrong. Yeah. I just want to ask you something really quickly, Tim. With yeah. Shabbat and Tuchuk now the main guys with the Ottawa Senators, can we now consider this brand new era of the Senators the Shabbat Chuck era? Shabbat Chuck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll workshop that one. Yeah. Although I hope that uh, Batherson really comes into his own, and uh, who knows who we'll end up with in the 2020 draft as well. I know. Uh, I think the Snake's going to be so good this year, too. So let's get back yeah. to our donation change. Now, how we're going to do this, like we said, the $1 for every goal and every assist, here is where we're going to be doing something very different this season. There's going to be three other th- things that we've tacked on. And that is, for every win, you and I will both donate $2. We will both donate $5 for a shutout. And $10 for a win versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. I guess one of my worries is that the team this year is going to be kind of bad. So do you want to say that no matter what happens, we still donate at least 100 bucks each? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah, but I felt that this is a really good way to go about it. And, you know, it's our our hard-earned dollars are going towards a really good foundation in the Ottawa Senators Foundation. And I feel like this is a really good thing that we've been able to do last season. I'm glad that we get a chance to do it in Season 3. Yeah, and honestly, it's fun for us, so let's turn it into some fun for the community, too. For sure. Now... On last week, on the last episode that we did, Tim, we kind of hinted at something at the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Should I go ahead and announce what that thing was? I mean, it's really cool, so go for it. Alert, 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 alert. Tim, we yeah. finally have Mr. Jamie McLennan from TSN for an exclusive interview next Sunday night. Oh, I am excited. Oh, this is going to be so good. And it's, you know what's funny is that we have the evidence of where this all started. Because as you remember, at the end of last season, I asked you on the show, you know, what are some goals that we should do for season three? And what would you want to accomplish? And you just openly said, let's try and get a next NHLer. I translated that as, let's go get Jamie McLennan for the show. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to get it. I mean, I might just... Shoot him a tweet, see what happens, and that's what I did. I shot him a tweet a couple of days after the episode wrapped, thinking, oh yeah, 
that we'll never hear from him. We're never going to hear from him. He'll never see this. And there was a couple of responses. Our buddy Joseph St. Moore responded with a really funny remark. He goes, oh, I see you're going after all the famous people now. Ha ha. And he brought up that we should bring back Ian Mendez for season three, which I said, hey, you know, if Ian Mendez is interested in coming back, to which Ian responded. And I think Ian Mendez wants to come back for season three, Tim. Uh, he's willing to come back, uh, blown away and happy. Absolutely. But the best thing about us was, in in the midst of all these responses, and I'm, I was at, funny enough, I was at work, and I got a response on my phone, and I just kind of glanced at it, and I went, okay, it's, it starts with a J, it's probably Joseph, and I read the message, and I had to do a double take, because I'm reading it going, what the fuck is he talking about? And then I had to look at the name. It, <laughs> it was Jamie McLennan, and I was like, oh, holy fuck, um... Uh, 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 I'm sorry, what? What? <laughs> yeah, and I remember I messaged you right away. I was like, um, hey, Tim, uh, listen, I tweeted at Jamie McLennan, and he responded. He's interested in coming on the show, and you're just like, no fucking way. Yeah. Well, that whole, that whole string of tweets is just like, holy shit. <laughs> I know, and you know what's funny? I was telling you before we hit record tonight that... Trying to nail this down, I almost gave myself a bit of an anxiety attack because, I don't know, maybe because of the other guests that we've had in the past, we've talked to them and it's kind of quick, quick and easy how we've set them up and we got them and we nailed them down. This took about three to four months to nail down. And we well, finally got guy. it. Jamie's a busy guy. Yeah, Jamie's a busy guy and... Boy, I can only imagine what he must think when he saw me sending like five res- five messages at one time. Like, uh, yeah, this and that and this and that. And I'm sure he's looking at it going, what the hell is this guy going on about? Yeah, we got to calm our shit. Yeah, I'm just like, so excited. Well, Tim, now that that wraps up the pre-show, which means only one thing. It's time to talk about the 2019-2020 Ottawa Senators storylines. Now, one thing we always do when we do these episodes, we have a little bit of a sound clip for this episode, Tim. Is it the same sound clip as we previously used? Yes. And I think what we should hit it right now to segue us into the storylines, Tim. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Ottawa Senator storylines. Now... Before we go into the returning players, we got to talk about probably the biggest storyline coming into this season, given all of the drama, all the BS, and all the trades that we made, sending all of our top guys out of town. And really, Tim, all I can say is to buckle up, buddy. It's tank season. Hey, look at it go. Oh, there it goes. Into the sunset it goes. It's gone fucking insane. I know. It's hard to believe, man, that this 100% now is their tank season. And I'm really, really, really happy about this because, honestly, there's so many things going right for the Senators coming into the season. This coming season is one of the deepest drafts in recent history with Alexei Lafreniere being widely touted as the number one pick in the draft. We have our own first pick coming up. 
And given that the Ottawa Senators are a rebuilder and they could have the best odds to finish last pace and land that first pick, I guess where I want to go with this is, like, given that the fans have zero expectations for the team this season on the ice, is the possibility of landing that number one pick the only expectation put on this team this season? I think so, and uh, I think this season, because we can land, actually land a top pick, a lot of that negativity uh, will be assaged to some degree because last year it's like we're we're absolute dog shit and we're not going to get anything at the end for this. In fact, another team could benefit. Yeah, because as you recall last season, I only had one comment and that was just don't finish last. That was the only thing I had for this team and they didn't even come close to accomplishing that. They're like, no, we're going to finish last. Yeah, and the hard thing, though, with this team is, well, we're going to get into it, but like this team, it's really shallow, but I think there's some teams that are going to be just hot at. There's going to be some real pieces of shit teams this year, too. Yeah, and it's going to be the cup contenders of, say, five, ten years ago, like the Detroit Red Wings or the Los Angeles Kings, where... They're not good teams, and a lot of people, even last season, they were pretty much lottery teams to a lot of people, and I think the Ottawa Senators right now, given how shallow we are and how young we are, I feel we this may be the best chance we've had in a long time to land a number one draft pick. Yeah, and hopefully the lottery balls go the Sens way. I know. You know, it was funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. Can you imagine... The 2020 NHL draft comes on TV, and I'm at work, and we win the pick. I'm just like, fuck yes, we won! We did it! And in front of everybody, like, what the hell is he going on about? I'm just going to start crying in the back. We won the pick! Don't you work with, like, a Leafs fan and a Bruins fan? And a Sabres fan. Yeah, they're just going to... The Sabres fan will understand. You're never going to hear the end of it from the Bruins fan and the Leafs fan. You know that. I know that, but you know what? In fairness, the Leafs fan can't really talk shit because you're talking about a team that can't beat the Bruins in the first round, something we were able to do. And plus, they have 40-something million dollars type in four players. If they don't do shit this season, boy, I'm just going to rib the fucking shit out of him this season. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling that one of the two teams that haven't won a playoff series since the 20, 2004 lockout will break that, so we'll have to see. But yeah, it's interesting because it's like this season it feels like, yeah, I know they're going to be god-awful, but I don't feel as bad about it. No, because um, as as opposed to last season where we didn't have a first pick and our only expectation was just don't finish last, this season coming into it, we have a first pick and we're just like, you know what? Go for it. We're all in right now to get this kid. The other thing that is that I think Dorian's did a, done a pretty good job of managing this, getting the sense cap ready to be in a place to manage forward. Yeah, and I know that sense Twitter doesn't exactly like to give Pierre Dorian credit, but you know what? I think credit does need to be given to him, given that, as you were saying, that he's gotten the cap ready, but also the prospects we have in our system thanks to him, even though... Yes, we ended up trading Eric Carlson and Mark Stone and Matthew Shane and Kyle Turris and whoever you want to throw in there too. But look at the players we got back. We've gotten Eric Brandstrom, who is one of the top defensive prospects. We have 
Drake Batherson, who's in our system. We've got Chalopic. We've got these guys are in the system who are who are really talented. And we watched them last season, thinking, "We okay, I understand they're not really there yet, but next season or a year or two later, man, these guys are going to be so good in the NHL." Yeah, and the nice thing is, uh, a lot of Ottawa's bad contracts are going to be coming off the books as well. So, like, Bobby Ryan's coming off in 2022. Uh, Nikita Zaitsev, by the time that it, Ottawa's going to be competing, $4.5 is going to be a drop in the bucket. Colin White is locked up at a very low number for a nice amount of time. Yeah, and he's somebody that we'll be definitely talking about later in the episode. But, no, I am... I don't know, that is my only expectation for this team right now, is landing that number one pick. Even though, like... If if we were to say land a top three or top five pick, I would still be happy because you look at a lot of the prospects in the top from the first five, they're all really good and they're all guys that you know you could legitimately look at this team and go, this guy could fit there, this guy could fit there, this guy can fit there. It just works for us. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because like I think even the Melnick crazy can't really bring it down because. What else left can he do? He's already fucked the stadium. The fans already hate him. Dude's getting sued for a million dollars over gambling debts, but I can't care. It's like, what the hell else can he do? Literally nothing. Yeah, and that's the one thing. And that was honestly kind of funny coming into this training camp because it was so weird coming into a training camp, especially in the last couple of years where there's been no drama, there's been no real headlines that have been made. It's just, let's focus on hockey. Okay, outside of Melnick being sued, but, you know, that's that's Melnick. Fucking, we're so used to that by now. Yeah, like, sure, dude's getting sued, but it's not bringing me down. No, we honestly just look at it and be like, oh, okay. That's it's me. Tuesday. Yeah, it's a Tuesday. What do you want us to say? Exactly. Like, I'm optimistic about the Senators, and we've got five picks in the first two rounds. It's going to be a good draft. Yeah. Um, sorry, do you mind quickly looking up if we have... Do we have Columbus's first pick this year or no? No. No? Because Matt McShane didn't resign. That's right. Okay. That was the big thing I was thinking of today. Um, we, have, we have San Jose's. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Depending on where they I, end up finishing the playoffs, that could be an okay pick. So, Tim, let's have a look at our returning players. Now, a lot of people would start off this by talking about Thomas Shabbat or a Brady to Chuck or Colin White. I actually want to start off with Craig Anderson because this season will be Craig's ninth and possibly last full season with the Senators. He's entering a contract year at 38. His game has really suffered over the last two seasons with a record of 40, 52, and 10. Craig Anderson is one of those guys that I think you can legitimately make an argument that he is a top five all-time player with the Ottawa Senators, given everything he's done for this team. He came into an organization that where it was in a bit of a rebuild, that 2010-2011 season. We traded away Brian Elliott. He made an immediate impact coming right in. He put up good numbers. And for the first time in a few years, even since Ray Emery, we hadn't really had that stability at goal. And that's what Craig Anderson gave. And I always felt for Craig because, to me, Craig always seemed more like a 
Kind of like a placeholder in a weird fucking way. I don't understand why. It's like Craig was always there until the next guy was ready. He was there until Robin Leonard was ready. He was there until Ben Bishop was ready. He was there until insert whoever goalie was ready. And they none of them were ready. And he was always been there. And now he's the all-time leader in wins, in games played. And I, this is why I want to start it off. Now, despite everything Andy's done for the center since he arrived in 2011... Do you see that Craig being dealt at some point this season, or are you of the belief he will finish his career as an Ottawa Senator this coming April? This is hard because you really summed up how, like, Craig Anderson, he came in a season where the Senators started with uh, Brian Elliott and Pascal LeClaire and ended up with, uh, and this is too funny, Craig Anderson and Curtis McElhaney in that. And, like, he persevered and he was always there for the Senators, and this is the first time I think his legacy will be with the Ottawa Senators. And I don't think he gets traded unless he's unless he asks to be. Yeah, and he has asked to be traded, especially when the whole Carlson and Hoffman situation was happening a couple of seasons ago. He went to the organization and they said, you know what, this is not right. You guys need to trade me. And he quickly changed his mind on that once Hoffman got traded. Yeah, like that was the get me the hell out of here past. Yeah, and like I said, Craig has done so much for the Ottawa Senators, especially in that 16-17 season where he started off the season really well and he took some time off with his wife having cancer. He came back, he got a shutout in his first game back. He played fantastic. and But again, I've always felt like Craig was always seen more as a placeholder with the organization, not as the top guy that they're going to put they're going to give him the flag and say, here, lead us. And I think one of the proof and pudding sort of things is, uh, remember how easy it was to kind of slot Hammond in for the hamburger run. Yeah, or Condon in 2017. Yeah, but no, I think it's, the guy's been here, and honestly, you'd have to pinch me because I wouldn't realize it. The guy's been here for almost a decade. I know he has lasted. You know what's funny? And you go back and look at his stats. He's lasted longer than all of our star goalies. He's long lasted longer than the Leem, Tugnut, Emery, even Pascal Leclerc and Peter Sidorkowitz. Like he's lasted longer than all those guys. And it's hard to believe. Like when you think of the Ottawa Senators, you think of say Daniel Offenson was here for seventeen years. You think of Chris Phillips was here for a long time, and those kind of players are here. Goaltending, that's where a lot of the players only last four, five years and then they're gone. Like, Laleem was probably the longest tenured senator up until Craig Anderson in goal. Yeah, so honestly, I think the organization is looking to get some of that goodwill back. And I think uh, leaving the net decision up to Craig Anderson is one way to do it. Yeah, and I know that it's really a shame that, you know, with all the praise that we give Craig Anderson, his play really has suffered over the last couple of seasons. And I think a lot of it had to do with age. I think a lot of it had to do with some injuries that he suffered in years past that really started to catch up with him. And I know that was one of the big criticisms last year was that we were watching him and we're like, what the hell is he doing out there? Like, wow, like he's not coming across the net fast enough anymore and he's not making those easy saves anymore and that's why I wanted to start it off because honestly this could be our final season with Craig Anderson in goal yeah and I feel like 
getting old sucks. But uh, we've gotten so many good years out of Craig Anderson that I think he de- I think he deserves the choice of retiring as a sender or not. Yeah, I felt that, honestly, he has earned that right to say whether he wants to finish his career or not with the Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the next guy. And, you know, Tim, it's been a while since I've actually said this. Hot Sambacho! That's right. The player we're going to talk about next, Mr. Hot Sambacho himself, Thomas Shabbat. Now, coming into the season, Thomas Shabbat is in a contract year. It's his final year of his entry-level deal. He has already established himself as being one of, if not the top guy with the Senators with his 55 points in 70 games last season. Now, with the Ottawa Senators finally signing Colin White, talks with Thomas Shabbat and his agent are going on right now. Now, coming into the season, what are your ex- expectations for Shabbat, and do you feel an extension for Hot Sam Boccia will happen sooner than later? You know what? I'm going to go to and say that Thomas Shabbat builds on what he built last season. Because even though he, he kind of had that bad stretch in the middle of the season there where the scoring just seemed to dry up for him. And he had the injury too. And he had the injury. I think he comes back from that and uh, picks up where he left off. Uh, it's funny because one of the early uh, points projections for the points race for defensemen shows Thomas Shabbat tied with Morgan Riley. Really? Yeah, that's Dom Le... Le I don't know how to say Dom's last name, so I'm not even going to try. Lugutzitz, or whatever, with The Athletic, has him at 54 points tied with Morgan Riley. Okay. And I don't see that as off the mark. No, honestly, and I know that, and we'll talk about this being a dark horse, I think he's a dark horse to win the Norse Trophy this year. Because given that, you know, you watched how he played earlier, like early last season, and you were just like, holy crap, like we knew this guy was good, but I, where did this come from? Tay, you know the rules. If you don't make the playoffs, you can't win the Norris. Um, just, I love Part of me's trying to think, but, I'm like, I don't know, did Doughty make the playoffs the year he won? I can't remember. Yeah, he did. Did he? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right, because, you know, there's a guy, you know, he now plays with San Jose. He's a point-per-game player. Didn't even win it. Yeah. Thanks, NHL. Uh, yeah, the one big thing I want to talk about, uh, Thomas Shabbat, my criticism of him last season was that at the end of the season, it seemed like he kind of gave up on certain shifts. And even sitting here watching the games, and I could see him trying to race for the puck, it looks like he just stops. He looks. He doesn't even try. He's just like, yeah, you know, I don't fucking care. I'm not making the playoffs this year. It's like, and that was the big thing. Even if you go back and listen to the later episodes of last season, that was the one thing I always got on him about was that he just seemed like he popped it in neutral and just left there. Yeah. It's hard, though, because, like, that 2018-2019 team, especially at the end of the year, that was a broken group of men. I know, but the thing is, and the reason why I bring it up is because how Thomas Shabbat played compared to somebody like Brady Tuchuk, and Brady was not like that. Brady, even though he knew that this team was broken beyond belief, even though he knew how bad the season was going, he didn't do that. He never gave up on them. And he's just like, no, I'm going to go out there and do what I do every night, and 
you know, earn my money. Not to say Thomas yeah. Chabot wasn't making it, earning his money, but there was a certain shifts and certain games from watching him. He doesn't look as motivated as I would have liked him to be. But at the same time, he also came back from kind of a bad injury. Yeah, and, and that was, yeah, and again, talking about my criticism, I think that was the one thing that I sort of kept in mind was that he did come back from that injury. He was injured and he came back, and I often wonder how much of that actually affected him. Yeah. Well, he's had. I think he's had a lot of time to rehab it, so here's hoping. For sure. So, Tim, let's move on to our second player that we get, or not second player, third player we're going to talk about in our returning players. Now, something else that I haven't done in a while, given that I just yelled hot Sam Baccio, I believe that there's an audio clip that I haven't played since April, maybe? March? You might have to play it two times just for old time's sake now. Yep. Tim, I just got to ask one simple question, though. Are you ready, brother? Hell yeah. Ooh, it's been too long, man. It's called editing, Tim. I can do that now. You know, we should really talk to Alex. He'll be, he'll do this for his goal song. I think Brady's the one who gets to choose that. Maybe we should. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should be like that guy on Twitter who tweeted at Weezer for a whole year trying to get him to cover Africa by Toto. Did Weezer end up doing it? Yeah. Because that doesn't seem like a Weezer thing. That they did, yeah. Actually, as a joke, they did uh, Rosanna instead. Because. <laughs> Honestly, I was going to say, listening to their fans just doesn't really seem like the Weezer way. No, that doesn't seem like, um... Ah, oh, Who's the lead singer of Weezer? I'm trying to think of his name. Uh... Chelsea. What? Who's the lead singer of Weezer? Uh, Rivers Cuomo. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Chelsea. Rivers Cuomo. Rivers Cuomo, thank you. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a Rivers Cuomo thing to do, honestly. He just seems like the kind of guy who just... Kind of like Major James came from Tool. He kind of just keeps his arms length from fans. He'd be like, no. Not happening. No. So let's talk about Brady to Chuck. Now, as we talked about last scene, despite all the shade sense Twitter threw at him, to Chuck instantly became a fan favorite with the Ottawa Senators and sense podcasts alike, like the third line plug sensecast. Now, recording 30, 45 points in 71 games his rookie season, he mostly played on a line with Colin White and Mark Stone. One thing, though, is that he really proved he can produce even without Stone as he was one of our more consistent and productive players after the trade deadline. Now, given that Brady now has a year of NHL experience under his belt and according to, I want to say, Ken Warren has 22 pounds of muscle he got over the summer, do you feel that he can now he can continue to build on the success that he had last season? Honestly... The fact that he didn't tail off after Mark Stone left is a great sign. Although, there is always the worry of the sophomore slump. Yeah, I'm not too concerned with Brady Kachuk because he seems like the person that, even if the points dry out, he'll keep fighting for it. Yeah, and that was the one thing I always was so... You remember me. I was just gushing about this guy last season, especially that game against Arizona where... The Coyote went around him and scored, and you could see him throwing his head back. 
And next thing you know, Blocker's in the bench saying, listen, kid, don't worry about it. Just go out and play. And he went out and he was throwing his weight around like nothing. Like, it didn't even affect him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the sort of energy that he needs. Yeah, but you know, the one yeah. thing that I think a lot of people don't seem to give enough credit to, excuse me, is that Brady Chuck they kept him with Colin White, but they inserted Anthony Duclair. And that seemed to help him out quite a bit because Duclair is a real speedster who can score. Brady was in front of the net. Colin can set everything up. How much do you think that uh, playing with a guy like Duclair after Mark Stone left helped Brady Tuchuk? I think it helped a bit just because of Brady Tuchuk's play style really appreciates having a sniper while he's making a mess in front of the net. Yeah. Yeah, and even though Duclair was riding a shooting bender, It'll be interesting to see how that line sticks together and uh, from what I've been able to ascertain from people who are watching the training camp suggests that that line is staying together. At yeah. least for the- yeah, that's the one thing I've noticed uh, following people who have been following the training camp is that that line had been very productive. And I know I was watching the clip from the other day where um, Brady and uh, Philip Shalopik were, have almost gotten to a little... Donnie Brook there in camp. Yeah, they're young. They're having fun. For sure. Now, let's move our attention. Now, before we talk about Anthony Duclair, let's talk about their centerman, Colin White. Now, coming into the season, White has solidified himself as Ottawa's number one center after taking huge steps forward in his development last season with the injury to Jean-Gabriel Pajot. He had success playing on the line with Stone and Chuck, like we were talking about last season, but he seemed to cool off after the Mark Stone trade and Colin White, as we said, talking about Thomas Shabbat, recently just signed a six-year, $28.5 million contract. Now that he's the undisputed number one sitter with a long-term contract, what kind of expectations do you have for Colin White entering this season? It's interesting because looking at that contract, that's number two type money. And I think over the long run, and even up to this season, Colin White reminds me a lot of Mike Fisher. He is a guy who can keep the front of the net squeaky clean, even if the offensive isn't super impressive all nights. Yeah, and like, the one well, sorry, and the one thing I always know about Colin White is that he's not a small guy, and I think that a lot of people that kind of throws people off when you actually see him. He may be not the tallest guy, but he's really well built. He's kind of stocky. He just kind of looks like he can't knock him over. Mm-hmm. And he's able to fight hard in the zone and keep it clean. Like, looking at the hockey biz threat measure of, like, the relative strength of shots the opponents get versus the rest of the NHL and Colin White's on the ice, it is, the Senators are probably safest. Like, the threat of shots go down by about 12% and compared to the league norm, which is, frankly, impressive. The other thing that Colin White is really good at is the guy can draw penalties. Yeah, and he's not like Brady to Chuck where you know, they get called for retaliation penalties. He gets penalties for he'll handle a puck and next thing you know, he'll go down. Mm-hmm. Not not in a diving sort of go down, but you know, you might give him a bit of a hook or something might happen and that's what happens. Yeah, because the guy, he's able to work that well. I think his, I'm not sure if his points will, I'm not sure where his points are going to be this season, but I think that, uh, I think that uh, his defensive play will continue to be stellar. 
Mm-hmm. I think if Colin White can get about 50 points or so this season, I honestly would be pretty happy. 50-55. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So let's like, move like on, Tim, and let's I... talk about Brady and Colin's new buddy, the man known as Duke. Anthony Duclair. Now, Duclair is entering his first full season with the Senators. He was acquired at the trade deadline from Columbus for Ryan Dezingle. He made an instant impact on the team, recording 14 points in 21 games. Uh, he signed a one-year, $1.65 million contract in the offseason. And I'm going to ask the same thing. What kind of expectation do you have for Duclair, given the success he had with the team last season? My worry is regression. Because when he got to Ottawa and really heated up, uh, he had a shot. His shot percentage was over twenty percent. Like that's it's not sustainable. Sorry, it was twenty percent, and he's never shot like that over his career. So that, except for a short period when he was in Arizona. Mm-hmm. But Duclair, especially with that contract, that's a real. You know, high reward, low risk signing. Because if we had signed him for say three to four years at four million or whatever, and he doesn't produce, that's kind of a not not an easy contract to get rid of. But it would be kind of difficult to get rid of it. And I'm really glad that Pierre Dorian was smart enough to recognize that. Hey, you know what? We only have the small sample of success with you on the team. I want to see what you do in a full season first before we give you a longer deal. Yeah, and the nice thing is, is uh, Anthony Declare, he shoots a decent amount. He shoots from decent decent places. He's a bit of a sieve defensively. True, but you know what? I think if off, if he can uh, produce offensively, that could that could put some of his defensive inequalities at bay if he was to produce offensively for this team. That's that's true. That's true. Yeah. Although, I think uh, if we get twenty goals out of the guy, I'd be over the moon. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, if we got twenty goals, uh, maybe forty-five points, maybe fifty points, I would be happy. Especially at that cap hit. I mean, he's not going to be like uh, Kevin. Le- was it Kevin LeBlanc in uh, San Jose? One million dollar contract. He had like sixty points last year. Or like, yeah. That was insane, but I think the thing about the thing about Declare is I'm really happy with the the contract number. I think 15 goals, 30, 40 points is probably what we'll expect, get out of him. Probably, and honestly, if he doesn't work out, then we can just cut him at the end of the year, like it's nothing. Pretty much. Yeah. So Tim, let's close out the returning players by talking about. The other goalie for the Ottawa Senators, Anders Nilsson. Now, Anders was acquired from the Vancouver Canucks for Tom Pyatt last season. Now, the funny thing is, despite going 500 at Arkells, 11-11, he was really solid in that, especially in that final battle of Ontario where he absolutely was the reason we won that game. Toronto should have won that, and I will maintain that. Knowing how young and inexperienced our defense will look this season, do you believe that Nielsen can continue his solid play that he showed last season? Or do you feel that, like the rest of the team, he will regress? Nielsen is an interesting case because I think he is a leaks. I don't know if he's a starter, but from what we've seen, he's a pretty league-average goaltender, which you can't complain about. The hard thing, though, is if you're going to be facing a lot of high-danger shots... His performance is going to suffer because he's playing 
brutal minutes. If his non-high danger save percentage remains high, then the Senators will, the defense will have a chance to grow. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing about last season is that Anders Nilsson, he only really got, like Anthony Duclair, he only got a small sample of how this team will play. And I'm just kind of thinking about how he's going to play and produce over a full season, knowing how young and inexperienced and thin we are going to be on this team. Yeah, and that really is kind of, that is the rub. But I think Anders Nielsen, as far as backup goalies go, you could do a lot worse. I'm not sure if he could be a starter. No, I absolutely don't see him as a starter. I see him as a very good backup. And I know when we had uh, Kelly from that hockey last on and we talked with her about it, she said the same thing that she put it best. She says that Anders Nielsen doesn't give us any impression. What did she say? I think she said something about she doesn't, he doesn't give us any impression that he's going to be a starter. He gives us what we need. Yeah, pretty much. Sorry, Kelly, if I totally kind of forgot what uh, how, how you put it, but I'll definitely have to go back and relook at it because uh, she put it better than I did. Looking back over his NHL career, it's been solid, including like 26 ga- in 2016, 2017 with Buffalo Sabres, 0.923, 0.901 with a bad Canucks team, 0.914 with a bad Senators team, 0.901 with a bad Oilers team. And he was also on the Sabres, too. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I said the Sabres. Point nine two three on a bad Sabres team. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize that. Like, he, he can produce. Yeah. Actually, one thing, uh, before we move on to the young guns, one thing I want to talk about Anders Nilsson, and Kelly, again, brought this up, is that she's a big fan of him because of his, he's an avid supporter of the LGBT community. And I know that Ottawa has been going through a lot of has been going through a lot last last year or so. Um, Mayor Jim Watson just came out, and the Ottawa, the city of Ottawa, just did their gay pride parade, and they had Mark Borowiecki. And I was often thinking this, given that he's a big supporter, I'm surprised they never get Anders Nilsson to march in that. Yeah, I'm a little surprised too. But at the same time, Boro, as weird as it is to say, Boro kind of is the face of the team at this point. So, like, having Borbietsky there does show a lot of commitment by the Senators. I don't know if it really... I don't know if Borbietsky really should be the guy, though, but, you know. Oh, he is a fan. Like, the dude's local. He's a fan favorite, and you know the guy would give a lot for the team. Yeah. Just, I really hope that he doesn't read Sense Twitter, though, because Sense Twitter doesn't really care for him that much. I think... I think they like him as a guy. Just not because it's player. hard to. But every otherwise, all bets off. Yeah, good point. Let's move on and talk about the young guns and talk about Sense Twitter. We got to talk about Sense Twitter's new favorite son, the man known as the Snake, Drake Batherson. Now Drake absolutely lit it up in the American Hockey League last season with sixty-two points in fifty-nine games. The funny thing is, and I know that a lot of, like, since Twitter was really hyping him coming into this season, maybe I'm the minority here, but I don't know if I really see it. I only really saw flashes of how good he can be last season, especially because he, he played 20 games last season in the NHL. He had nine points, 
but he mostly played with Matt Duchesne. And as you remember, Tim, when they traded Matt Duchesne away and they brought Batherson back, tried to pair him with anybody else, it didn't work. He was skating circles. And I know a lot of people have been hyping him as a dark horse candidate for Rookie of the Year. Now, are you of the mindset of many people regarding the snake, or do you do you feel that we haven't seen enough to really get that excited about him playing um, at the pro level? The hard thing is, like, he did play really well in the AHL, although uh, that team kind of, like, the offense dried up at the end of the year, mm-hmm. which was definitely a shame. But I don't know. It's like I, I have a feeling that I'm of the mind that I think that we'll see something interesting coming out of rookie camp from Drake Batherson because, again, look at the people he's training with. Sidney Crosby, Brad Marchand. So if he's training with those guys, hopefully he's picking up good habits. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like I feel I feel comfortable. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, I mean, I know that, like I said, since Twitter has been really hyping him up. And although I am excited to see what Batherson can do given that a lot of his teammates he played in Belleville last season are not going to be with the Sens. But again, I just, I don't know. I, I just didn't really see it last season, though. That was the weird thing, is that I was watching him, and like I said, maybe I'm just the minority who uh, doesn't fully believe in Batherson yet. Maybe we need to actually see him play in a full-time role in the NHL before I really make a a solid, firm decision. But you know what? I'm keeping my expectations at bay with him because I want to see what he does first. I don't want to get too hyped and say he's going to win rookie of the year right out of the gate because you know what? There's n- unless he really explodes this season, I don't know if he could win rookie of the year. But I would kind of agree that he would be an absolute dark horse as a candidate. Yeah, and honestly, for that reason, I'm actually really excited to see what he can do. And I think that I'm prepared to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, let's put it that way. Now let's move on to talk about Eric Branstrom. Now, Eric Branstrom was the big piece coming to the Senators in the Mark Stone trade from the Las Vegas Golden Knights. He showed flashes of what he can do at the pro level in his two NHL games last season. And a lot of people see him penciled in as the number two, as a second-pairing defenseman, on this team. Now, where is your excitement level seeing Branstrom on the big club? And do you feel the expectations need to be tapered given he is only 20 years old? He looked really good in what I was able to see of him in the AHL. And with Christian Willanen injured to start the season, I am very excited to see what he can do. I honestly think that from what we saw even from limited action in the NHL level, he skated smooth and he was smart on the puck. Yeah, and that was one of the big things I noticed about him last season was that he was a very smooth puck-handling defenseman. And honestly, if he can develop to be a really, really good defenseman, I feel that that can take some of the pressure off Thomas Shabbat and say if the Senators need to go to Brantstrom if, say, Thomas Shabbat gets injured or they want to try and change it up, they can't. Yeah, so it's like I'm I'm excited for Eric Brandstrom. Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm tapering my expectations on him given how young and how inexperienced and how thin our defense is going to be this year. 
But, man, I'll tell you, if he really comes into his own this season, this team's going to be very exciting because you have Drake, you have Eric, you have the number one line of Tuchuk, White, Duclair, and you have some of the other young guys coming up. Like, this is going to be, even when we're going to be complete shit on the ice, we're going to be very exciting to watch, at least. Yeah, and it's going to be fun. There's just so, there's a lot of good prospects to talk about. Yeah, I think we should move our attention, Tim, and talk about another guy that, since Twitter has been hyping up over the last couple of months, and that, of course, is Logan Brown. Now, Logan Brown, some people on since Twitter already has him making the team, and the one big thing about Logan Brown is that he has not really impressed in the games we've seen him in, and for myself, it's very questionable of him making the team given um, the depth that we have at center with Colin White and Kristen Neri and Pajot and some of the other young guns coming up. Now, here's the thing, though. Is like, what will Logan Brown have to do to really impress the team to make it with the number of centers we already have on the roster? I think it's hard just because, well, yeah, there's so many goddamn centers. and But then again, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Tyler Ennis is 13th forward. So, like, there's definitely room for him to really come in in surprise. Like, especially once he really got it rolling at the second, the last end of the AHL season there and showed what he was really capable of, I think. What he has to do is he has to show that he's better than the recent trade acquisitions by a large margin. I think that's what Ottawa has to do. Sorry, that's what Logan Brown has to do to make the team. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, a few minutes ago, we were, you were talking about Christian Lannan's injury, and I know that Lannan was somebody that you really hyped up last season. Somebody who was a really big surprise, especially at the very beginning of last season, was Max Lajoie. And Max Lajoie was absolutely red hard to start the season, and you and I were talking, like, okay, where did this guy come from? Like, I don't really remember this guy on the roster, and he was lights out, he was red hot, and then he got anchored to Cody Ceci, and he sunk without a trace. Now, given that the injury to Christian Willannon in the first day of training camp, this really gives him a great opportunity to make the team full-time. And I guess that's what I want to ask. Like With with Willannon being injured, could this be the big break for him to make the team full-time? Potentially. I think he has to beat out Branstrom, though. Honestly, and we'll talk about it later in the episode, but for me, on the left side of defense, I see Shabbat Brastrom Lajoie. And before Willannon, I saw Willannon in that third-pairing role. And Lajoie, as we saw last season, is another really good puck-moving defenseman. And given that he'll probably be paired with somebody who's a more stay-at-home defenseman, this could be a good opportunity for Max Lajoie to really step into his own and really develop and really make an impact with the team like we saw at the beginning of last season. Yeah, I know. And here's maybe hope against hope. Ron Hainsey is listed as a left defenseman, so maybe a Hainsey-Yaros bottom pair, Lejoie doesn't make it. And you have Shabbat, DeMello, Brandstrom, Zaitsev, Hainsey-Yaros. Again, jumping ahead in the episode, maybe that's something that could happen as well. Like, this is the hard thing: is it's there's a lot of young guys and a new coach. 
this is also part of why this this offseason is going to be so exciting. And uh, I know for the first time in a while, I can definitely say that I'm going to be watching preseason hockey with uh, bated breath just to see, well, what could happen. For sure. So, Tim, now that we talked about our new guns, it's oh, time to move on to – sorry? Sorry. I just kind of thought about this as we were talking, but I think there's two guys that could be real big surprises coming in in Vitaly Abramov and Jonathan Davidson. It's funny because, and, we'll, and again, we'll talk about when we do our own projected starting lineup. I have Abramoff on the fourth line right wing because he was somebody last season. And yeah, he really surprised me last season because I, I had no idea who this guy was. And we watched him and he looked like he handled the puck really confidently and he skated well. But I was like, ah, oh, you know, okay, I don't see him making the team. I think he could probably make the team this year. Davidson, again, I don't know much about him. And I know it since Twitter, again, been talking a bit about him. And um, I'm trying to think. I think Parker Kelly was another guy that a lot of people on since Twitter was talking about. So all I know, uh, I can't recall about Davidson, but I know uh, Abramov had a fantastic rookie camp. And apparently he started to translate that into a good training camp proper. Yeah. And Park Kelly, again, had a fantastic camp. He's a player right out of the mold of Sean Avery. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had our own Sean Avery on this team? Because we already have Brady Tuchuk, who's a real pain in the ass. And now we have our own Sean Avery. Like, man, we're going to piss off a lot of people. Oh, it'll be great. The only thing we'd need is uh, to somehow pry Brendan Gallagher out of Montreal. We'd be like really fun team to play against since maybe uh, yeah since Avery was on the Rangers. So Tim, let's segue into our third and final topic, and of course, with a lot of the now ex Toronto Maple Leafs making the Ottawa Senators, this is called the Ottawa Maple Leafs. And we're going to start off with our brand new head coach, DJ Smith. Now, Smith was hired as head coach in May. The funny thing was that DJ Smith was the least likely of candidates to land the job, especially with people like Patrick Waugh and Jacques Martin. And these kind of guys were available. And you and I talked about, man, could you imagine what a shit show if we got Patrick Waugh as our head coach? But DJ Smith, he was the least likely because he had no... He was never a head coach in the NHL, but he's also the cheapest option. So that's kind of why Ottawa went from his history. He was an assistant coach for the Leafs from 2015 to 2019. He was the head coach of the Oshawa Generals where he won the Memorial Cup in 2015. What kind of expectations would you have for Smith as head coach? And I'm just going to say right now, are we going to see another Boucher-Dumont 2.0 with him and Ron Hainsey on this team? First of all, if he plays the young guns... I'm more than happy because like one of the things that I was a little worried about is the guy got a rap as being kind of old school. But one of the other things is uh, interviews came out. One of the worries is that the Hainsey uh, DJ bromance, but Morgan Riley does speak very highly of DJ Smith, which I think is a good sign for developing skilled young defensemen like Shabbat and Branstrom. So if those two are happy and they play good minutes, I think that that is a good expectation. Those are good expectations for DJ Smith. I hope to hell that uh, Ron Hainsey isn't playing first line minutes. That'd be awful. I don't. We've said this is a tank season, and next season's probably not going to be that much better. Mm -hmm. So I don't think 
DJ Smith is going to be measured in points. I think he's going to be measured by are the young players getting time and are they growing? Yeah, and honestly, that's how I'm going to be looking at this season because the next couple of seasons, like we're going to be complete garbage on the ice. But I am going to judge him solely on what he does with the young guns. And if, as you were saying, if Shabbat and Brandstrom can develop into really good defensemen that they are projected to be. I think the other thing is uh, Pierre Dorian has shown that he is not afraid to send shots across the bow for players that are being in a, that aren't effective and are being deployed way too much. See Dumont and Payet getting traded. Yeah. So I actually have faith in Dorian on that regard. That if uh, Hainsey is trying to block up development of players, he's gone. Yeah, and that's honestly what we need, right? We need a guy who will say, listen, you're not doing your job of developing these guys, you're out. Pretty much. Yeah. And that's <clears throat> one of the nice things about Pierre Dorian is he 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 will make errors, but he will also correct his errors. Yeah, because, you know, we're a team, Tim. Yeah, it's honestly, I think Pierre Dorian is... Given the hand he has been dealt, I don't think he's done a bad job. No. There are definitely a ton of head head scratchers he's made on force, like the Burroughs extension, but... Yeah, but he's had more good moves than he has bad. I think I would agree. Yeah. Uh, Actually, it's funny that you talk about Ron Heasy being the number one guy, because I honestly don't see him being the number one pairing defenseman with Thomas Shabbat. I actually see being Nikita Zaitsev being that, and that's the next guy we're going to talk about. Uh, Zaitsev was required acquired from the Leafs in July for Cody Ceci. I see him being the top-pairing D-man with Shabbat this season. Now, given that he did struggle in the last couple of seasons, where are your expectations level on Zaitsev, and do you feel he can bounce back not playing in that media hellhole that is Toronto? My biggest issue with Zaitsev is... I'm not sure if he has the hockey IQ, honestly. Because it's a lot... a lot of boneheaded plays... He's not great in his own end. And he's not particularly great in the offensive end either. And he draws more penalties than he takes. Honestly, if I was DJ Smith this season, I would go to Nikita Zaitsev and say, listen, you're going to be the number one guy next to Shabbat. All you got to do, if the puck comes to you, look to your left. If you see Thomas Shabbat standing there, you give it to him. Yeah. Although it's like, my big thing is, this is a guy who just, he gets pushed in at 5-on-5, and I don't think he really has it. I think he is an improvement on Cody Cece, let's be fair. And and you know what, Uh, going back to DJ Smith, I think the best thing DJ Smith can do for Zaitsev, go to him, and not only just say, look to your left pass to Shabbat, but also go to him and say, listen, I'm going to give you a vote of confidence right here. We see you as an improvement from Cody Cece. And if you can show us you are worthy of being on the top line, we will keep you there. If not, we've got guys below you that we will move up. Like a Dylan DeMello. Because DeMello proved that he can play with Shabbat. Especially from last season. Mm-hmm. I think the big thing for Zaitsev and maybe with the media focus and a bit more time spent conditioning 
he can clean up his play in his own zone. Mm-hmm. And what's weird is I think one thing for Zaitsev, though, and looking at his previous two years in Toronto compared to last year in Toronto is that last year he was way worse in his own in the offensive zone than he was the two years prior. So, like, if that's just a blip, then I think that he's probably going to be a bit better. I don't know. I think for myself, my only... I don't really have many expectations for him. I'm keeping my expectation level pretty neutral. I want to judge him on his own merits. Because, honestly, we've seen the last couple of seasons of Cody Ceci where he got eaten, almost got eaten alive in Ottawa. And that's the one thing about, and it's funny, Leafs, Twitter, and the media is now kind of hyping up Cody Ceci's a Leaf. And it's like, really? Like, I understand that to you guys, there is no other team other than the Leafs, but did you not watch any of the games Ceci played in the last fucking five years? Four years, give or take? Did you not read any of Sen's Twitter about him? Like, are we the only ones seeing this? I think the one thing that might help is that Cody CC will not be playing 20 to 23 minutes a game. Because he's going to be on... Unless Mike Babcock galaxy brains and plays a a Riley CC pairing. Well, in fairness, I mean, in the playoffs last year, he did put out Patrick Marlowe quite a bit. Yeah, so it's like, if that happens, then holy shit, all bets are off. But at the same time, like I think Toronto's forwards are good enough that CC will probably just get dragged along. His underlying stats will look awful, but he can't do that much. He can't do that much damage, can he? Well, Zaitsev is going to be pretty damn exposed. So yeah, I don't really have much expectation for Zaitsev. But part of me hopes that Cody CC just collapses. So. And I know this is mean because Cody Cease is not that bad of a guy, despite the lawsuit. But what the hell is it with Ottawa people around the Ottawa Senators and getting sued anyway? I don't know. I don't. I really don't know what it is, Tim. I mean, can't we all just yeah. get along and go down to Burgers and Fries forever and enjoy a meal and not get sued? I mean, I'm going to be in Ottawa in two weeks, so I'm definitely going down to Burgers and Fries forever and enjoying a meal and not getting sued. Fair enough. Let's move our attention to Connor Brown, the other main piece going to Ottawa for Cody Ceci. One thing that I noticed about Connor Brown from reading some pe- some people's tweets about him is that he seemed like a bit of a fan favorite with the Leafs. Even though, now, he put up 29 points in 82 games last season for Toronto. One thing I've noticed reading some of Sense Twitter talking about Connor Brown is that some people have penciled him in in the top pairing with Tuchuk and White. And I guess that's where my question is. like, Where do you see Connor Brown slotting in next season on this team? Um, I think to start the year, if we're seeing the, the Kachuk, White, Duclair line survive yeah. a few games preseason, that's the top line starting. I see, uh, Connor Brown's kind of a middle six guy and he's defensively solid. Like the puck gets away from the front of the net when he's on the ice. It's not the greatest in the offensive zone. But he's defensively responsible, so I see him as a middle six type of guy. Yeah, and that's really that's what we would really see it on this team is that if he can be a strong defensive player in the bottom six, then hey, you know I'll be happy with it. Yeah, 
Yeah, because I think we've got enough, like, firepower, and we've got enough young guys in the bottom six that can supply enough offense where Connor Brown can mostly just focus on being defensive more than offensive. Yep. Okay, so I think we should move our attention to the final player that we got to talk about this evening, Tyler Ennis. Now, he was a low-key smart hockey move picking him up at a low-risk, high-reward contract at 800000 He's a solid bottom six player, and a lot of people on Sense Twitter was really happy with the signing. Now, given that we have all of this youth playing on the Ottawa Senators next se- this coming season, what kind of role do you see Tyler Ennis having on this year's Sense? I think Tyler Ennis could probably best slot into the role he played on the Leafs as that 13th forward, but since we already have that spot, hopefully earmarked for the remains of uh, Mikhail Bodecker. I could see him playing a, probably anywhere middle six, bottom six, and doing well in that role. And Tyler Ennis is such a weird case, too. Because he's always been projected as this skill guy. Yeah. But he's always kind of bounced around and never stuck. Sorry, Tim, i got to interrupt you for a second and just announce to everybody, you now owe everybody a beer because your phone went off. Yeah... I actually had my phone on silent, too, so I think what happened is because I'm recording on the phone, any notification that comes in will set it off. Honestly, and, I, honestly, dude, I'm surprised that you don't uh, turn your cellular data and everything off before we hit record. What happened is it's an email, so uh, what ended up happening was uh, there was a we- some weird IT mishap today and uh, for all intents and purposes i got locked out of all my work accounts so my boss had to send me the reset email to a personal email oh, okay so that's what that was okay tim so given that we have already talked about all of the players and everything we've already needed to talk about i guess the best way to close it this episode is give our 2019 2020 ottawa senators projected starting lineups mm-hmm. now you want to go first Sure, I'll go first. Okay, on the first line, I have DeChuck, White, and Duclair. On the second pairing, I have Alex Formanton, Drake Batherson at center with Connor Brown. Third line, I have Tyler Ennis with Pajot and Ryan. And the fourth, I have Miguel Bach here, Chris Tierney, and Abramoff on the fourth pairing. And on defense, I see Shabbat Saitsev, Branch from DeMello, Lejoie with Yaro slash Hainsey with Boro as our seventh defenseman. And in goal, I see Craig Anderson and Anders Nilsson. Uh, one question. Uh, so do you have Artem and Anisimov on as the 13th forward? Yes. Okay. Yeah, just yeah. because one thing that I've noticed over training camp is that, you know, if he doesn't seem like somebody nobody's talking about. And I haven't really been able to find anything that contradicts whether he's good or bad on this team. So that's why I'm putting him as a 13. Personally, I just, I don't know. I see somebody like Chris Tanieri beating him out on the fourth line. Well, what I could see is that, uh, yeah, what I could see happening is Batherson playing wing, and I think he's a natural right wing anyway. Connor Brown going to left wing. Tanieri or JGP moved up. And I think JGP in camp has been given the chance to play with the skill guys over Anisimov and Tierney. Sorry, and Tierney. Mm-hmm. So, 
your lines would look like, your centers would go White, JGP, Anisimov, Tierney. Okay. And then uh, Bodecker falls to 13th forward. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and that's kind of what my lines reflect. Although I had Anisimov up higher. I know, because I remember when you sent me that, I you were just like, yeah, my lineup's depressing. And I was like, yeah, that, that's pretty sad, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, once we kind of talk about mine, you're going to see, uh, you said that you couldn't see uh, Hainsey playing top-line minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first thought is, did you watch any Toronto games? Because uh, Morgan Riley Hainsey was a very common line pairing. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I just think that I see DJ Smith putting Zaitsev on the first pairing, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, honestly, we're looking at the same players, and honestly, I think our evaluations are kind of similar. So I've got Kachuk, White, Declare is the top line, and I think that's the top line unless something happens. Yeah. Uh, Connor Brown, Anisimov, Bobby Ryan on the second line. Abramov, to Tyranny and Batherson on the third. And NSJGP Balsers is the fourth. But now that it's JGP, seems to be the one getting the chance with the skill players. I'd probably move JGP and Batherson up to the second line and uh, Teneri and Ryan down. Okay. Because I think Balsers will probably make the team out of camp. Because he does have that edge in NHL experience, and he seems to naturally fit into that bottom nine, sorry, bottom nine type of role. Mm-hmm. So I think he sticks. For the defenseman, I think we're identical on the left side. And then I have Hainsey, Zaitsev, and DeMello on the right, with Boro as the seventh defenseman, and Andy Nielsen in net. Yeah, so you and I pretty much have the same sort of lineup just given a couple of tweaks. Yeah, and I don't really see how Ottawa lines up any different unless, say, Max Verano has a really good cap. Yeah. Or Davidson really surprises out in Sweden. Or, hell, even if, uh, say, Nick Paul decides that, hey, you know what, I want to be a really good NHL player and I'm going to make the team but I don't you know what I don't see Nick Paul being on this team next season to be perfectly I see either Ottawa trades them or we just cut them all together if he doesn't produce which is weird because I think that Nick Paul he's kind of growing into an Eric Condra where when he's on the ice he's making excellent defensive contributions but hands of ice yep and it's a shame because if he wasn't tied to the Spencer trade, I think he would just people would be very happy with him playing uh, bottom line, bottom six type minutes. True, but unfortunately, because of that trade, that the fans will never unsee that now. Although to be fair, Jason Spencer has also fallen off pretty hard. Yeah, although it still kind of hurts that he went to Toronto instead of coming home. Yeah, that's true. Although, we didn't really have a space for him. No, that's true. Unless he retires and we can hire him in our uh, front office. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah. Well, Tim, I guess with all that out of the way, it's time to head on to the close, eh, bud? Yeah, it's good to be back. Oh, absolutely, man. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sedscast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I 
love doing them for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlightplaysensecast. We're also on Google Play Music because our bod Dave made the mention. And also, you can also find us on the National Podcast Network, nationalpodcast.network. You can find us on Twitter at Third Line Pluggers, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honeybadger and at Mike White Gipster, GR8, WYTE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to make a mention of how I can actually fit in the National Podcast Network in the close now for season three, shoot me an email, thirdlineplugsunscast at gmail.com. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jeff. Go Sens, guys. Woo!